ladies and gentlemen, it's time to have a dialogue. It's time to ask the real questions around here, okay? Why is it called 11 and not 1E1? In other words, public enemies, Chuck D. Bring the noise. FM Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is Voskip. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. I'm just just asking the real questions here, guys. This, these are the real questions we need to get to the bottom of. Why are all the other numbers 22, 33, 44, etc.? Why are they all that? And 11 is not 1E1. Just, just thrown out there. I literally just saw a video of uh, Cameron and Brandy, uh, Cameron berating Brandy about it, and it was just mad funny. About uh, it was just mad funny to look at. It's just even the fact that Cameron says one one just in super New York accent is just glorious. But it's a worthy question. Why is it called? Why is it called eleven, and not one one? Just a, just a thought. Just a, just a thought. I, I, I think it should be one one just for the hell of it. It's just funny to say one one. <laughs> my one e one at one e one e one e first one e first birthday. How, how do you say it like that? I don't know. <laughs> just just a thought, just a thought. Anyway, we have a stack show um, for this episode. Um, it is all life, nothing else, just all life, all about the life. Um, and yeah, some subjects that you probably think I'd talk about, but um, to be honest, I'd, well, it'll come. It'll come. I think it'll come for in in a week where um, for, and I'll and I'll reason why I I don't really either want to talk about it. Uh, most of the time, I just don't feel qualified. That's most likely the only reason why I don't talk about some things. If you want, if you ever wonder, if you've ever wondered in the hundred and thirty nine episodes of what's good, why doesn't he talk about this? Why is he talking about that? It's most of the time. It's just because I feel unqualified to do so. Um, which kind of may open a Pandora's box of just like, oh, so you feel qualified to talk about this? And it's just like, no, probably not, but let's not do that. That's not, that's not, I feel like I've opened a Pandora's box here. But anyway, let's just jump right in. Four minutes before we begin. Email to the IG, Discord link, all that, all that, all that, in the full show notes. Please peep the articles for yourself, give them a click for yourself. They're all in the full show notes. Help support the writers that make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where Britney Spears' father Jamie to step down as uh, her conservator, is that like? Yeah, conservator. Um, after 13 years and a series of court battles this summer. Uh, big up Brittany. Uh, five people in Plymouth die from a mass shooting. You can count six, including the shooter himself. And uh, yeah, I would have talked about that, but I feel like it's more of a commentary on incel culture. That's probably the w- way I go down it. But then again, to be honest, I'm not really, I'm not really into that. I kind of, I feel like there's some sort of care that needs to be taken there. Um, but I just 
don't have any <laughs> um so i feel like i'd just be very blunt with it and it wouldn't be that great as a it wouldn't be that nuanced of a conversation on my side uh over a thousand people die uh, after haiti is hit with a 7.2 magnitude earth- earthquake uh Africa- it's weird right because um you don't think about the dominican republic but it's just haiti you know what i mean and they're they're basically the same, they're basically joined uh it's basically one island but they're just joined together right dominican republic and haiti but the earthquake happened in Haiti, and not the Dominican Republic, but it's an island. It's just weird. I just wonder how that works. Um, Afghanistan's capital, Kabul, is taken over by the Taliban. President Ashraf Ghani flees to Tajikistan. And obviously, that's kind of uh, very fluid at the moment. Um, that shit happened in, like, I don't know, 72 hours, pretty much. Uh, just in quick succession, very fast. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of just gonna let that sit, let that, uh, let that chill for a while, let that chill in the, chill in the ice for a bit, and, uh, maybe we'll get to it, maybe we won't, um, but to be honest, I feel like there's just a lot, that most people are just thinking about who to blame, and, and on the, and on the, you know, uh, human side, what was it all for, it's kind of those two questions, and, uh, there's a lot of answers, and it's very deep, so, yeah. Not going to get into that this week. And uh, lastly, RP to comedian Sean Locke, who died age 58 as I record today. Um, she woke up to that news, um, died of cancer, and uh, yeah, man, RP to the real one, man. He was, he was, he was lit. Um, um, yeah, one of the best uh, UK comedians from like 2000 onwards, I think. Um, you know, obviously he came, I think, to uh, he got an award for like best live stand up in 2000, something like that. Um, so he was clearly established in the com- comedy world um, even before that in the in the mid nineties. But um, it was when he when he when he got eight out of ten cats with Jimmy Carr and them like bro, he, he just you can't you, you you are lying to me if you didn't watch if you're in the UK and you didn't watch eight out of ten cats on a consistent basis at some point in your life. Oh, honestly, like that sh- that show was fucking crease. It was hilarious, right? I just stopped watching it because it went too deep into the, like, on the guest side, it was a bit too, I don't know, um, they just invited, like, people I wasn't rating at the time, I was just like, mm, okay, I'm not really rating this anymore, but, yeah, man, then they did the countdown one, which, again, didn't really rate because I hate countdown, I'm just like, you can make it as funny as you want, I'm still, it's still countdown to me, um, so, yeah, but, yeah, Sean Knox's funny, dude, I have one of his audiobooks on, I've, I think he was, I think, my first audiobook uh, was a Sean Locke, um, I think it was Lockopedia Live, um, so yeah man, uh, I've, I've always rated Sean Locke as a comedian, he's funny dude, um, so um, I repeat to a real one. And with that said, uh, we get into our first, well first of four life topics, all life, let's get our first segment, um, the US Census. Now, usually this is something that people probably ask like why do you care and i don't really care i just like looking at this i was like looking at this demographics i like demography i find it fascinating you know looking at specific countries and you know how it's gone from this to this uh, you know whether it be you know just a uh, general things life happening or you know just you know genocide and shit like that but you know there's there's levels to it, obviously, and uh, I just find the U.S. Census fascinating, um, especially this time, uh, because well, we'll get into it. We'll get to it. But it's juicy to me. It's juicy to me, and uh, honestly, this is just a taster for the U.K. Census, which I'm waiting on. Oh my gosh, I can't wait! I can't wait to see the levels. Can't wait. I just, I just, because I remember the 2011 census in the U.K., and uh, I just remember the absolute moral panic. 
that people were having about it. Oh, oh, oh the Asians are coming. It literally was like that. It was literally just Farage on the radio, just fucking going apeshit. Ah, oh, too many, too many Asians. Immigration's not working. It was literally just that. It was, it was the most fucking alarmist bullshit of all time. It was so funny to me uh, at that time. Um, you know, not wasn't really that you know clued up on it, but I just I was just listening to podcasts and about it, and it was just funny at that time. Um, but yeah. I'm just here for that, and uh, I guess the U.S. Census is, um, you know, a nice little taster for what for what's to come. Hopefully, um, in the U.K., I'm not saying anything on that front. Uh, past that, but yeah, let's get into it. Uh, this is a uh, this is just just a general AP explainer five takeaways from the U.S. Uh, from the 2020 Census data. Uh, this is by Mike Schneider. Uh, let's just jump right in. <clears throat> the Census Bureau on Thursday issued its long-awaited portrait of how the U.S. has changed over the past decade releasing a trove of demographic data that will be used to redraw political maps across an increasingly diverse country. The data will also shape how $1.5 trillion in federal spending is distributed, each, it is, is distributed each year. Here are five takeaways from the latest census figures. First one is, I love how they have this in all caps, white population declined for first time on record. Uh, <laughs> that's great. A US headcount has uh, been carried out every decade since 1790, and this was the first one in which the non-Hispanic white population nationwide got smaller, shrinking from 196 million in 2010 to 191 million. Oh no, heaven forbid, 191. Oh, oh, in 2020. Oh gosh. The data also showed uh, that the share of white uh, of the white population fell from 63.7% in 2020 uh, 2010 to 57.8%. Oh, in 2020, what a shame. Uh, the lowest on record, though white people continue to be the most prevalent racial or ethnic group. Duh. Uh, in California, Hispanics became the largest racial or ethnic group, growing from 37.6% to 39.4%, while the share of white people dropped from 40% to 34.7%, that's fascinating, in one state, that's in one state, that's kind of fascinating if you really think about it, so there's more Hispanics in California than white people in California, so ergo, every show based in California should be, should have Hispanic people majority, right, so imagine that, imagine like Real Housewives of whatever, Beverly Hills or whatever, right, just no white, no white women, just, just Hispanic women, <laughs> are there any rich Hispanic women? Who knows? Uh, get it, get it done, brother. Anyway, uh, some de- demographers uh, cautioned that the white population was not shrinking as much as shifting to multiracial ad- identities. The number of people who identified as belonging to two or more races more than tripled from 9 million people to 2010 uh, to 33.8 million in 2020. They now account for 10% of the US population. People who identify as a race other than whites, black, Asi- black Asian, a- American Indian, or uh, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, either alone or in combination with one of those races, jumped to 49.9 million people, surpassing the black population of 46.9 million people as the nation's second largest racial group, according to the Census Bureau. Oh, I can see uh, some homies seeing like uh, just just having a bit of a feel about that. Uh, but demographers said that they may have uh, to do that may have to do with Hispanic uncertainty about how to answer the race question on the census form. Uh, next one is U.S. became more urban. Uh, again, in all caps, almost all of the growth in the par- of the past ten years happened in metropolitan areas. More people in smaller counties uh, moved to larger counties. Around 80% of metropolitan areas saw population gains, while less than half, less than half of the smaller so-called, 
excuse me, so-called micropolitan areas did. I have never seen micropolitan in that sen- uh, in, in as a word. That's, that's interesting. I didn't realize that was a word. That's cool. Micropolitan. Uh, Phoenix was the fastest growing uh, of the nation's top 10 cities. It moved from 6th to 5th, a uh, trading place for Philadelphia, which is now the nation's 6th largest city. Decline in children, adults take larger share. The share of children in the US uh, declined because of falling birth rates. While it grew for adults, driven uh, driven by aging baby boomers, yeah, of course, uh, adults over uh, over age 18 made up more than three quarters of the population in 2020, or 258.3 uh, million people, an increase of more than 10% from 2010. However, the population of children under 18, uh, under age 18, dropped from 74.2 million in 2010 to 73.1 million in 2020, a 1.4 uh, decrease, uh, yeah, 1.4% decrease nationwide. Nationwide, uh, children under 18 now make up around 22% of the population, but it varies by region. Northeast had the smallest proportion of uh, people under age 18, uh, around 20%, while the South had the largest, at 22.5. Skyrocketing Hispanic and Asian growth. Uh, the nation's 7.4% growth rate over the decade, the smallest... Uh, Oh, growth rate, okay. The smallest since the Great Depression largely was propelled by a Hispanic boom. The Hispanic population grew by almost a quarter over the decade. By comparison, the non-Hispanic growth rate was 4.3%. Hispanics stood at 62.1 million residents in 2020, or 18.7 in the US population, up from 16.3% in 2020. The most Hispanic growth was in Florida, Texas, New York, Illinois, and California. Uh, meanwhile, Asian growth jumped uh, more than a third over the decade, rising 24 million people in 2020. Last one, rapid growth in unexpected places, losses in Puerto Rico and West Virginia. Uh, that's a really weird uh, subheading, but okay. Uh, among all US metro areas, the fastest growing was one, uh, was in the villages. Uh, the Florida retirement community built on former cow pastures. Okay, I was wondering what the villages was. Uh, other fast-growing areas in the U.S. were fueled by the energy boom, particularly in North Dakota, uh, where Mackenzie County was the country's uh, fastest-growing country. Uh, its population increased by 131 percent uh, from 2010 to 2020. Nearby Williams County, North Dakota, grew by 83 percent. Uh, <coughs> okay, that that last one was just a bit blank really geeky, uh, which I'm here for, but yeah, just incredibly random, I think, uh, but hey, hey, cookie crumbles and all that, um, so yeah, I just, I just, I just find demography, um, especially something like the US where, you know, this so, the, 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 the racial, like, that was mostly about racial shit, right, and obviously the census can be a lot of other things, right, they, you know, they had a mini conversation, they had a mini one about, you know, age and stuff like that, and, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of, um, that's really, uh, uh, what's the word, that's accounted for, I think, you know, not just on the census, but, you know, every couple of years, I feel like there's a lot of, uh, research pa- uh, research papers that come through every couple of years talking about how you know this country's aging this country is super young etc etc right and there's many different reasons for that and whether you consider it a negative or a positive i mean i feel like uh, i feel like uh, the us getting older is um very indicative of a lot of things um but you need to you need to compound that with other things. So you need to link that with um, 
<coughs> where those age groups are economically as well. So, you know, baby boomers, I did see a chart one uh, a, few, a couple of weeks ago about like uh, the economic share uh, of uh, uh, of uh, US um, age groups, right? And uh, over the years, right? So obviously, you know, it's continuing the, uh, you know, at this point it's practically, you know, a tussle between baby boomers and Gen X, Right, and those good, but it's, it's 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 comfortably baby boomers right now, right? And that's crazy to think about, right? Since baby boomers are like, what's the age range for that now? Like sixty plus? Like that's that's a bit mad to think about. How you know people under that age still haven't got the lion's share uh, of uh, of the economy in the U.S. And I'm not sure what it's like for the U.K. But I can make a assumption that it's um, around that's around the same area, right? It gives you know I don't see money in my pocket that on that front, right? Um, uh, it's funny actually. It's a side note. And I'll leave it here because uh, it's an interesting side note. But um, my mum's recently been uh, talking about her pension uh, for a specific reason, right? Um, and um, I was I was just thinking about it. Like she was she was talking about her pension one time a couple of days ago. And I was really just thinking and uh, about it. I was just like, I wonder if I wonder when's like the point because obviously people get state pensions, right? But I'm talking about like a private pension stuff like that, right? Um, is that even possible for people my age at this point? Like, is there any point to have a private pension unless you, you know, unless you're like a, you know, footballer or you know so, something that guarantees you know some some sort of uh, potential for generational wealth right uh, if you're if you're really good in that sector right um so you know football is a very easy a easy concept for people to grasp you know for, for you know there's these if, if you're a premier league player you're getting this you know mad amount of money a week right etc right it's a very easy concept to grasp right um you know I've, and most of them are under most of them are under the age of thirty, so you know they can easily, if they wanted to, set up a pension or set up like um you know some sort of fund for you know future youths, whatever, right? They can easily do that. Um, me, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> like I just find it funny how you know um it's hard for people my age to get a house, for example, right? And I'm I'm talking about you know fully you know no mortgage, just house, you know my house in the middle of our street, our house, right? That kind of thing. Um, I, I, I would love to look up the percentages for um, people under the age of 30 that has a my house in the middle of our street, my our house kind of thing, right? No mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I just wonder what, what the percentage is. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a guess and say it's below 1%. I'm just going to take that guess. Um, uh, but, you know, that's, 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 I might be wrong. But it's funny how... This is why I like talking about demographics because it gets into reasons why things are like they are. I think I think they you know deliver a nice broad picture, or, and you can. And granted, it leaves people to the opportunity <coughs> to take some sort of um, you know. So, so for example, and I'll finish here again. I keep saying I'll finish here, but I'll say I'm literally going to finish here, right? So, with the um, white population in America, right, obviously it's said, statistically, it's dipped, right? But, also, they made the, uh, you know, they made the uh, estimation that maybe it just could be the fact that people consider themselves just not white, not just white, 
um, and they pick a different thing, right? And that's possible, right? But people don't look at that second bit. They just see white people, uh, white people numbers declining for the first time ever, right? And, you know, people on Fox News go for the moral panic route. And uh, I remember I saw a video of, like, Tucker Carlson talking about some CNN, a black woman on CNN, or a couple, I think it was, like, Don Lemon and a couple of other uh, black people on CNN. You know what I mean? They're just going, you know, they're gassing up a little bit, right? A little bit of gas, right? Putting a little bit of a little gas, you know what I mean? And Carlson just went, huh, you see what they're doing? It's just just funny. It's just funny. Um, So, you know... As a cautionary tale, uh, while demography is a very fascinating subject to me personally, I'm not sure if it is to you, but if you've gone this far, you you might have a, some sort of interest in it, right? Or you just enjoy me talking. Um, while demography is a fascinating subject and a worthy subject to dip into, um, it needs it, it needs context added um, all the time. And some people just do it in bad faith. And that's uh, the unfortunate side of demography. But um, regardless of that, white people are going down. I'm joking. next segment is uh, very tech related and it's all about TikTok um, I don't think I've ever talked about TikTok and uh, there's a reason why I don't talk about TikTok is because I don't want to be in that kind of I don't, I don't want to be in that realm I, I just don't want to be in that realm right now um, it's, it's, it's I don't know it, it just and, and honestly the reason why actually pertains to this article very specifically <laughs> um, I have the you know seen a Seeing a social platform take a skyrocket in the way that TikTok has, you know, is very Facebook-esque, right? That's kind of how I saw it. And, you know, we, we know we know where Facebook is right now, right? Facebook is garbage, okay? And I know a lot of you on it, right? I got off it uh, uh, for my, um, ahead of New Year's, uh, this, ahead of New Year's. For the end of 2020, I was just like, whatever I'm going to... Was it or was it 2019? No, it was 2020. But I said, whatever I'm going to do, um, by the end of 2020, Facebook will be off my phone, right? And I still have Messenger, right? And, and you know, there's problems with that as well. Um, let's just keep in touch with a couple of homies um, until they get on Signal. If you're listening, get on Signal. Um, but, you know, it is what it is, so, you know, I'm not completely off it, but I've got the, but my account is deactivated, I don't get, uh, people don't see me, I am a ghost on that front, technically, I'm probably not a ghost, they probably still have all my data just chilling, but, you know, it is what it is, so, yeah, I just see something like TikTok to make a astronomical rise, and I don't see it as a cool thing, I see it as just like a, hmm, that why is it doing that why are people just jumping onto this um guys 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 can we like take a chill pill so that's just that's just my my how i like to see it right and funny enough uh this is there's a book about it um so this particular uh opinion piece is by chris stoker walker who is the author of tiktok boom china's dynamite app and the superpower race for social media um so he's done this uh opinion piece kind of just 
you know, just, uh, I guess, like a taster of sorts. I'm not sure if it's an excerpt from, maybe an excerpt from his book, who knows? Uh, but it's called TikTok is the New Facebook, and it's shaping the future of tech in its image. This is by The Guardian. Uh, let's jump right in, because, yeah, scary shit. Uh, against the backdrop of a global pandemic that has kept millions of people inside with nothing but their phones for company, the short-form video-sharing app TikTok has quietly ascended to the top ranks of tech. TikTok was the world's most do- downloaded app last year, and according to App Annie, a mobile analyt- analytics company, in March 2020 alone, users spent as much time on it uh, on on it as there has been since the Stone Age. What? 2.8 billion hours, or nearly 320,000 years. Shit. Last, I was wondering what the hell you meant by Stone Age, but okay, that makes much sense. Last month, TikTok became the first app not owned by Facebook to cross the 3 billion download mark. For context, there are 5.3 billion mobile phone users worldwide. Okay. That's scary. More than half of everybody ha- uh, with a mobile fo- with a smartphone has fucking TikTok on their phone. Yeah. Uh, by now, you'll almost certainly know the name TikTok, even if you've never heard of it. Perhaps through the word, perhaps through word of mouth uh, from nagging children or grandchildren, or the sheer bombardment of TV adverts over the past year. Yeah, the fact that they they sponsored the Euros just made me cringe. I was, I was like, oh god. Um, parent company ByteDance turned over. Uh, $34 billion uh, in revenue in 2020, and clearly isn't shy about spending it to acquire new users. At the Euros, uh, there we go, at the Euros this summer, for instance, TikTok's logo was emblazoned on every advertising hoarding in sight. If it will remind you of the rise of another app more than a decade ago, that's for good reason. With its, excuse me, with its uh, 732 million active users, TikTok is the app of the moment, and likely the app of the future. It's the new Facebook. Facebook's shadow has loomed large over the inter- over internet history, from the ubiquitous quick logins to uh, ubiquitous quick logins to promoting us uh, to change. There's a comma in the middle of there, and it just threw me off. Uh, to prompting us to change our profile picture to show we've been vaccinated. Oh, they're doing that now, of course they are. It's wrangled a position in uh, the tech firmament uh, that ensures it provides access to everything from dating apps to airlines and takeaway delivery services. Mark Zuckerberg has spent the past decade pursuing every available option in bid to keep us uh, using his apps. He's bought Instagram and WhatsApp and turned what was a simple app where you'd post pictures and short missives to friends into something that tries to serve every interest. I know, and it's fucking shit because of it. My stories constantly crash. There's always something wrong with stories. It's a, it's actually, honestly, if I'm being completely 100 you, uh, for for you know for the for all of the established apps that I have on my phone, right? Instagram is by far the worst. It is the most inconsistent app. It, it's it's actually low key garbage. Like considering the people they have behind that is actually low key garbage. Um, and I it's probably the next app I'm gonna dip off of. I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but it's gonna happen at some point. Anyway, continuing on. Um, I actually would be on it if it, if it worked perfectly, then I'd probably still be on it. But there's so many things wrong with it constantly uh whenever i try and be on it uh each point instagram whatsapp oh yeah want to list an old sofa for sale on facebook you can do that want to host a work meeting you can want to play games facebook's got you uh but zuckerberg has recognized the rise of a competitor and its risk to to his power when people spend uh, longer on tiktok they spend less time on his competitors including facebook 
and the Facebook-owned Instagram, which has tried to replicate TikTok's success with Instagram Reels. TikTok is the new Facebook, and it is shaping tech in its image. It may seem easy to dismiss as a quirky, short-form video-sharing app, but TikTok is an augury? Augury? How do you say? Augury. A-U-G-U-R-Y. Augury, a sign of what will happen in the future and omen. That's a cool word. I'm going to say that. Okay, uh, of the tech future to come. Just as Facebook has shaped the internet, the ways we interact, and our approaches and attitudes to personal data for the past two decades, so TikTok has the potential to do the same for the next 20 years. Its videos were once no more than 15 or 60 seconds long. Now they can last up to three minutes. Until February, uh, TikTok was predominantly a mobile app. Now you can watch videos through your web browser or even your smart TV. It once had a single video format, then incorporated live streaming. It allows you to buy products through the app and uh, to tip your favorite creators. It has even started ripping off other apps' other apps's, uh, best features. An art pioneered uh, by Facebook that ByteDance is taken to another level. TikTok Stories was announced earlier this month. Of course they are. But uh, the biggest tell that TikTok is the new Facebook, a little notice polish, a little notice policy policy shift, can't say policy in uh, May, uh, the release of the TikTok logging kit, the tool set the tool set permits third party app developers to allow users to log in to their apps using their TikTok account. Oh boy, that's very Facebook of you. Um, <laughs> and Google, I guess as well. Uh, in other words, TikTok is set to become a portal to the rest of the internet where we can now log into Tinder, Spotify, and hundreds of other apps and you, and websites using our t- Facebook account. Soon we could do the same with TikTok. But TikTok or, TikTok's origins is, is an authoritarian state leave. Uh, some concerned about... Oh, origins in an authoritarian state. Okay, I was tripping up on that, sorry. Um, in an authoritarian state leaves some concern, there we go, about the wider ramifications of its rising influence. For one, the Chinese app's uh, design and approach to things, such as content moderation, are a legacy of its early development in the country's highly controlled digital space. TikTok makes much of the fact uh, that it removed 91.3% of its videos that infringed its community guidelines or terms of service before a user reported them. That's the result of a highly trained computer vision technology in the censorious Chinese digital ecosystem. And while it's hiring a large... uh, engineering team outside China, its coding is still largely conducted inside the country. Douyin, uh, TikTok's Chinese sister app, has uh, long offered many of the features we can expect to see on TikTok soon. Better live streaming and the ability to buy products directly from within the app through e-commerce features. One feature unlikely to cross uh, over to the West, Douyin's positive energy tab a front, a feature front and center in the Chinese app, which promotes propaganda to keep the regime on side. Oh my days! Flick sideways in Douyin rather than down, as you would get to more videos and a more carefully monitored feed of pro-China content affairs. What the fuck? No, 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 no! Oh my days! That is fucking. These two paragraphs have scared the shit out of me. Oh, my fuck. Oh, cringe. Okay, last two paragraphs. Here we go. The willingness to accommodate uh, China's whims at home means the prospect of a TikTok-led tech landscape abroad is one that worries the likes of Neil O'Brien, the co-founder of the China research group of Tory MPs, uh, along with one-third of Britons and half of Americans, 
Uh, it seems fearing TikTok is an actual extension of the dramas around Huawei and are worried that we're replacing Silicon Valley libertarianism uh, with Chinese state control. The reality is more prosaic. Uh, this isn't a tussle that will, uh, that will throw the world onto a new axis, but it has multi-billion dollar ramifications for whoever wins uh, the superpower race for social media. We've grown used to, and in some cases we've been manipulated by living in Facebook's world. Now we be, may be shaped by TikTok. I don't know. I, I, I just... This is why. This is why I can't participate. I just don't want to participate. I refuse to participate. That cringes the fuck out of me. You can't tell me that this, uh, this, th- these, th- th- those two paragraphs of uh, authoritarian state that I tripped up on, and the system doing, fucking scares the shit out of you. It has to. It has to in some fashion, right? And you may not care, right? And maybe I'm being scared because, uh, you know, China's slowly taking over the world in the same way US have had the, you know, the soft power as it does over the world, right? I don't want soft power for anybody, okay? I don't want it. I don't want I don't want America have to, have to have all this soft power. I don't want to be so chained to American uh, sensibilities. I don't. I'm I'm sick of our government just kowtowing to whatever the to whatever the U.S. does. Um, you know, Afghanistan's a great example. The fact that we just didn't even make our own decision. The U.S. just went. All right, we're dipping, <laughs> and you and the U.K. just went. All right, cool. That's it. That's it. I'm not here for that, and I'm not here for China slowly taking over Africa in uh, from an economic sense. That is a fact, by the way. That that's not tin. That's not tin foil. That is not conspiracy shit. They're literally doing that. Go look it up. Okay, right. I'm not here for that. And TikTok and Facebook are exactly the same thing. Obviously, Facebook is more private, right? And it's just more about you know, uh, and it's not governmental, right? It's not the U.S. government uh, taking over Facebook uh, that owns Facebook or whatever. It's Mark Zuckerberg and whatever these lot want to do with it, right? And while it is, it's it's, it's it's two things, right? It's it's them it's them literally them two things. It's a, it's it's the rock in the hard place, right? Would you would you rather have like? A, 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 a power that literally destroys governments, right, in Facebook, i.e. Myanmar, Burma, right, for example, right, there's plenty of other examples, but that's the most uh, um, uh, uh, extreme example, okay, would you have Facebook, where it's privately owned, and, you know, it's a, you know, it's a general business model, right, in terms of CEO, CTO, all that kind of, all that kind of crap, right, and they have the power to do things that, you know, these, that's just a few people with these big decision-making skills, uh, power, uh, big decision-making power should not have. Or would you rather have a state-owned company that is owned by the state, right, and is influenced by the state? You know, the roots of TikTok is in the, in the Chinese state, as the article suggested, right? Would you rather have that? Where, you know, China has, I don't, I don't know how much sway they have uh, as it pertains to TikTok, right? But clearly there's something there, okay? But would you rather have that? I'm not saying China owns all the TikTok and they make every, every decision, but <laughs> they, they make a lot. So, um, they, they made the root of it. They, they met they're, they're in the roots of, of TikTok in some way. So what would you rather have? I personally would rather have neither, and that's why I'm on neither. I know I'm on Facebook, I know I'm on WhatsApp, I'm trying to get off them, but you fuckers won't allow me to. You lot won't go to Signal. So, uh, on the WhatsApp front anyway, Instagram is all me, that's my that's my issue, I need to, I need to wee myself off. But anyway, 
I'm scared to shit. And I would rather not have tech companies um, completely uh, changing the, wor- uh, the the world in, in, in one fashion or another. I am not here for that. Guys, just, I don't care if you love TikTok, right? I don't care if you're a creator yourself. Just, 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 just be wary. Just be wary of the shit, man. Like, just, please, I beg you, just, just be wary. Be wary of all of this. being on Twitter and you just like get some fucking UK government propaganda in your face anyway um, third segment alright <laughs> are we going to next uh, we are going to activism okay yeah so this is one this is an article I found a couple of weeks ago and I've been, I've had in my pocket for a minute and it's just interesting it was an interesting read um, it's an opinion piece again uh, this is by Miss Ellen Ella Glover uh, this is via ID and it's called when everyone is an activist online is anybody or is anyone um, and yeah, you know, topical activism, and it's something that I've really been thinking about, especially as it pertains to last year, uh, last summer, and how uh, all those infographics about BLM and stuff like that was, you know, everyone was sharing that kind of shit, and it was just a bit <laughs> okay, cool. You know, what I mean, it's it's cool on one side because you know, I, it, sometimes I I peep them and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I actually didn't know that, right? And you learn something, right? You, they're learning tools in some way. But so, but sometimes it just gets a bit out of hand, you know. So, and and it's very easy, to, and it's very easy to act like you care, like act like you care about something. I'm not saying you know nobody cares and that everyone's just being, uh, everyone's just putting on, right? I'm not saying that, but some people are putting on surely, right? We can't all be activists. And that's, that's kind of otherwise shit would change, right? There's a rule to that. I forget the percentage rule, but it's like um, if 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 a certain percentage of a population are um, are constantly talking about this one issue, then that issue is per- is subject to change. Um, I forget the. Um, it might, it's a very low percentage as well. It's not even that big, but I forget the. I'm gonna try and think about that if I can find it. Um, anyway, let's get into this. Let's get into this piece. Uh, why is nobody talking about insert cause anymore? Insert atrocity is still happening, by the way. I've taken note of which friends haven't posted about insert issue that has been reported on by every major news organisation. These are all phrases which have become synonymous with online activism, a practice which, while not new, has exploded in popularity since the beginning of the pandemic. At a time when the protests were banned, though still going ahead, ahead, and were genuinely frightening for those shielding from COVID-19, it's unsurprising that the majority of the pan- of pandemic era activism uh, has existed online. Uh, but once again, social media has turned something hopeful into something toxic, and a groundswell of negativity has risen to the surface. Instead of seeing activism as a good thing, it has become mandatory, expected. And such phrases, while well-meaning, have been, have been used to shame uh, the masses into sharing their engagement with worthy and necessary causes on the internet, Blurring the line between genuine engagement and mandatory public caring. Uh, The underlying sentiment is that if we aren't publicly condemning something bad or pushing for something positive on our social media platforms, we're not doing anything at all. Whether we're out on the streets or not. Olivia Olivia Yallop is the creative director of creative agency The Digital Fairy and the author of Break the Internet, 
the first the quote first full length study of influencer culture and the creator economy. She says, quote, after 2020, the always somewhat false division between our online and on- offline selves has completely collapsed. Uh, the idea that you could think uh, something or do something and not post about it is alien. Uh, continue. Uh, oh, wait, is that the end of the quote? Where's the end of the quote? There's another quotation mark, and I haven't... Okay, it's continuing on, I guess. Uh, As a result, I believe we have reached our point of singularity with the internet. The significance of online action has surpassed its physical equivalent. Posting now is the primary activity going against... uh, Activity against which everything uh, else comes uh, second place, unquote. That was a dodgy read by me. (laughs) Fucking hell. Even uh, disregarding that question of fairness, our growing uh, online culture of shaming people into speaking on each and every course is unrealistic. Firstly, because it fails to acknowledge that the lack of talking does not necessarily denote a lack of action. But also because not everybody has the means of or inclination to engage with issues of social justice. For some, this is down to privilege of ignorance, but for others, especially those on low incomes, a lack of time and resources to quote-unquote do the work may not allow them to engage thoroughly. Uh, Days Agaji, I think that's a J. The typography on ID is jarring to me. (laughs) I don't know why. Uh, But yeah, I think it's Gaze Agaji. A 20-year-old London-based climate activist who organises and takes part in civil disobedience with the likes of Extinction Rebellion is a firm believer that we should all consider ourselves activists. She says, quote, All of us should have time to participate in democracy and our society, but there are people who literally just don't have the time because the world is so shitty to them, which I think we need to give space to, unquote. Plus, 21-year-old uh, Francisca Rocky, yeah, Francisca Rocky, uh, a London-based geographer and activist in sustainability, education, diversity, and founder of uh, Black Geographers, Shout out. I think I've heard of her before, actually. Uh, I, don't, I don't know where I've heard of her, but I've heard of her. Um, a community interest organization working to tackle the erasure of black people in geography uh, makes uh, the point that it isn't actually uh, safe for all activists to speak publicly about their work, particularly in the, uh, particularly those in jobs that expect staff to stay politically neutral online, like the BBC or the civil service. Also, people who belong to marginalised groups could uh, could be sub and could be subject to more scrutiny and online abuse than others. "Quote: If you come from a vulnerable group, then it might not actually be a good thing for you to be screaming and shouting." Francisca says, "We need to remember that people do have jobs alongside what they do, and unfortunately, it does mean uh, excuse me uh, that they have to be careful for whatever reason." Unquote. This is something people don't consider uh, when they're gunning for a statement from every politically progressive person they follow online. And for those who are able to engage, it's easy to forget uh, that we as humans are hardly equipped to deal with this constant barrage of information at once. The pressure to juggle an infinite amount of injustices in our minds while also worrying about our own lives and livelihoods, uh, Day says, is problematic. Quote, Uh, It puts this real anxiety on the people who can't or don't feel like they can pick up so many issues because, especially after these last two years, people are at a point of real emotional fatigue. This is where you get hopelessness and disempowerment because it's like the weight of the world is too much to carry, unquote. She adds, quote, People ask, why isn't anyone talking about this? As though all of us have the emotional capacity to hold the world and all the problems in the world on our shoulders, unquote. 
Olivia suggests that the psychological impact of the endless supply of traumatic posts on social media, which we filter through among uh, news updates and birthday wishes, is microcosmic of uh, what content moderators deal with daily. People who moderate online content for YouTube and Facebook are prone to mental illnesses like PTSD and depression. Quote, we're simply not built to filter through so many digital micro-interactions every single day, she says. There's an undercurrent of cognitive strain that impacts anyone who has a working relationship with the internet. Um, And yeah, as a side note, I can't think of a job worse than being a content moderator on YouTube or, or especially Facebook. I remember seeing a video, I think it was by maybe Wired or The Verge, one of those um, tech-centric uh, tech-centric sites, and they basically uh, interviewed a bunch of people uh, from one particular content house, uh, content moderation house for Facebook, and they were just, like, describing shit they see on a daily. Fuck off. Like, not happening. Like, th- there's no money you could pay me to just, like, constantly look at just people getting shot in the head or, you know, getting their head blown off or shit like that, or people being executed, like, it's not even it, or fucking animal torture, fuck, anyway, continuing on, (laughs) besides that, uh, it's important to remember that not all activism uh, lives online, and prioritising online activism over on-the-ground work could be counterproductive, as Day says, quote, me burning myself out, constantly commenting, and trying to get uh, involved in loads of different social uh, social issues at the same time, is not actually going to help the issue, uh, unquote. And that's just it. Of course, grappling with your own privilege and stake in the world's injustice never feels fair, and it shouldn't have to, but we need to begin to ask ourselves whether pushing people to speak out on issues on social media is even practical. Uh, it feels important to add that the that online activism isn't inherently bad. A 2020 study found that micro-level uh, evidence uh, supports a positive relation between online activism, offline protests among citizens under oppressive regimes, and can help to use uh, to mobilize minority groups who quote can eat make, uh, can more easily make uh, contact and make themselves heard through social media unquote. Uh, and recent uh, feminist movements aiming to expose to put an e- and put an end to sexual harassment such as Me Too um, have gained traction on the internet. Uh, Sravia Ataluri, uh, the creative director of Our Streets Now, a campaign which began online with a mission to end public sexual harassment through legislative and cultural change uh, through awareness and education campaigns, backs the method. Quote, I decided to use digital, digital activism because social media is one place where minority voices cannot be silenced or is hard, uh, much harder to do so. And you can also find the community of others who relate and reach a global audience, she says. Uh, digital act- digital activism can also make activism um, accessible for disabled people who cannot protest in person, unquote. And that's a good shout. I feel like uh, that's a good point to make. Um, uh, how much time have I got? Ooh. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's head down to the last couple of paragraphs. Right, here we go. I've only skipped like two paragraphs, but anyway. Uh, another problem with social media in general is that it has a flattening effect, particularly when it comes to activism in that it forces users to package their activism up neatly and aesthetically um, so that it can appeal to, to the masses. Nuance is often lost, and so is uh, the understanding that activism is a multi-dimensional holistic. Um, is multi-dimensional holistic, right? 
Quote, the architecture of social media is antithetical to activist organizing in many ways. It's vertically aligned. It lacks the key tools. It has inbuilt incentives and sanctions that condition users towards the status quo. The algorithm will always favor a lifestyle content that makes users feel satisfied over content that makes them feel uncomfortable, Olivia says. In the place of traditional uh, organizing, we get to we get the hollowed out social media optimized equivalent, the Instagram infographic industrial complex. Unquote. Uh, Francesca agrees. I didn't skip. Did I skip anything? <laughs> I just wonder if I actually skipped anything because I meant to go to one bit, but I didn't. Anyway, <laughs> oh fuck it, this is good uh, Francesca agrees. Uh, activism is not just sharing uh, something online; if uh, it's doing work within the community and having real life, in person uh, conversations with the people who are going to help you make the change. She says. But the way online activism has morphed into increasingly self-righteous, guilt-tripping black hole is pushing people to perform activism online, often to the detriment of their own mental health and seemingly less often to the benefit of a single cause. As Olivia notes, the broader, quote, the broader activist uh, concept that silencing compliance has been distorted and co-opted quite literally for social media. Unquote. And expecting the world from activists and people trying to engage is... uh, uh, likely to have a more negative effect than positive when it comes to galvanizing the masses. As, Fran- as Francisca notes, uh, if we really want to make a difference, quote, those who are interested and have the time should spend less time talking about what people are not doing and shaming people and more time coming together and doing the work. And that's a perfect place to finish. I think that's a perfect place to finish. Like, if you're one of those people, and I'm not one of those people, I don't I don't think I am, um, that, you know, go, why are people talking about this, right? And I do, I do it on here. But that's why. That's, but that's the only reason why I. Well, not the only reason why. But that's a reason why um, I like having this show uh, to talk about what I feel is important. And you know, sometimes it's stuff that isn't talked about. Um, you know, I could have easily talked about the Plymouth uh, mass shooting. I could have easily talked about Afghanistan this week, but I decided not to because you know, you can, you guys can look that shit up e- everywhere else. Literally everywhere else. Go, like, go look it up. Honestly, it's very easy to look it up. Right. But, you know, we're not talking about this. Uh, it's, we're not talking about um, uh, the next bit is about culture, right? Um, the next, uh, and obviously the previous one about TikTok. You know, obviously people are talking about uh, technology and how, you know, scary it is. But, you know, I, I've never talked about TikTok before. And I feel like that was ne- a good place to talk about it, right? So, you know, and this ain't activism, right? What I'm doing isn't activism in any way, I don't think. It's just me commentating on some shit, right? And um, I'm not going out on the streets. Um, I... Yeah, I'm one of those people. I don't have time to right to to go to head to London for a day and protest. Um, I don't have I don't have that time. Um, but I know what I am passionate about. Uh, I know what I care about. Um, and I try and this this and this is the thing, right? Um, previously, you know, before the internet, it was hard to you know gain. Uh, gain sense of what was going on around the world you know all you had was the news to tell you what ha- what was happening in the world so you watch bbc news or channel 4 news or whatever or read the newspaper and that's all you got right but the internet gives gives you know such opportunity to be thinking about things that you've never thought about before right um what's a good example uh you know cuba i mean uh, i wouldn't Oh, if if there was no internet, I wouldn't be talking about Cuba. You know what I mean? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have talked about Cuba a couple of weeks ago. Um, I wouldn't have done that. Uh, so that's just one example. Um, even with something like Afghanistan, uh, you know, obviously 
UK media would be talking about it because we have a stake in this. We have a stake in it in some fashion. But um, apart from that, you know, why would you... We probably wouldn't have seen the scenes of, you know, people falling out of planes and shit. Um, maybe, maybe we wouldn't have. Who knows, right? If, if there weren't any internet. I mean, people weren't recording that shit. Yeah, yeah, there you go. People, most of that was phone, but most of that was just people recording on their phone. So we wouldn't have gotten that. You know, might have gotten some testimonials, but, you know, wouldn't have gotten that. We wouldn't have gotten that footage um, and put it everywhere we everywhere on social media. So anyway, my point is, you know, I, th- I think Francesca, uh, Francesca said uh, said it succinctly, right? If you If you care about something care about it don't don't be don't be you know just berating people going like why aren't you talking about this because you know we could all do that to each other you know oh why are you talking about this thing i care about why aren't you talking about this thing i care about i wish people were talking about race um in society more often right i wish people would talk about education more often but you know it is what it is it is what it is so um you know everyone has their uh, everyone has their thing uh, everyone has that thing they care about right uh, you know think think about it like a marathon right Everyone has their charity to fund, uh, to fund, right? Everyone, everyone picks their charity to fund. Sometimes it's just you know something broad like Cancer Research UK or something you know f- something very local like a small foundation, right? That's how that's the same with activism. And you know you don't berate people for not caring about for not donating to the British Heart Foundation, right? You know what I mean? So it's not like we don't care about people's hearts and shit, you know, or, or public health. Everyone does. You know what I mean? Everyone can care about things, but you know some people just don't have the mental capacity for that, and that's fine. You know, there's no, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no beef towards that. So, chill with the online berating. I'm, I don't know anybody that does that, but you know, chill, you know, if you know anybody that does that, just chill with it, and chill with the Instagramification of things. You know what I mean? Um, if you care about something, just fucking talk about it. You know what I mean? And consistently talk about it. Um, you know, obviously it would help get into like a graphic design to make shit look sexy, but yeah, you know, it shouldn't be the be all and end all, right? It shouldn't be the be all and end all. Just have the information, keep doing your reading, and you know, keep organizing. That's the only thing you can do at this point. Okay, and we finish off with a conversation about culture. Um, that's something that's something I always enjoy thinking about, uh, culture as a whole. Uh, this is by Dr. Kojo Karam, who teaches at the School of Law at Birkbeck, University of London, and uh, also writes on uh, law, race, and empire. So that's a, that's a fun trio right there. Uh, this is by The Guardian. It's called, Here's What the Right Gets Wrong About Culture. It's not a monument, but a living thing. Um, and yeah, this is just a fascinating read, so let's just jump right in immediately. Uh, The culture war, much like the war on drugs or the war on terror, is a metaphorical state that seems uh, fated to go on forever. The left blames the right for instigating a cynical distraction from its economic and public health failures. The right insists it's merely acting in self-defense after a year of clandestine advances by the left. The indefinite nature of this battle stems from a general failure to define what is being fought over or to determine what is meant by culture when it comes from where it comes from or why it matters. One of the people who taught the uh, taught hardest thought hardest about the uh, idea of quote unquote culture uh, that so preoccupies today's cultural warriors was Stuart Hall, the god, the god Stuart Hall. Big up, big up, big up, Stuart Hall, man. Uh, as soon as I learned about this, this dude, 
Jesus, man. Absolute G. Uh, absolute G. Uh, the sociologist and founding fi- figure of the British Cultural Studies. Of British Cultural Studies. Hall arrived uh, in Britain from Jamaica in 1951 to find a rigidly hierarchical society that was undergoing profound social changes in the aftermath of the Second World War. The Windrush generation had been recruited from the far corners of a fragmenting empire to help rebuild a devastated mother country, bringing them with bringing with them new music, food, and language that would help reshape that would reshape Britain's atmosphere. At the time, television, cinema, and radio were spreading uh, uh, spreading a new, irreverent image of British culture around the world. While the rise of the welfare state and increasing disposable income among working people meant the audiences for art and sport were growing, just as their barriers of entry began to lower. These changes uh, were experienced by a loss, uh, as a loss by Britain's elite uh, in the pyramid, pyramidal. Didn't realize you could say it like that, but pyramidal, pyramidal structure uh, of the British Empire. Culture had long been defined uh, and monop- monopolized by the country's boarding schools, elite universities, and rarefied cultural institutions. Together, the establishment promoted a set of ideas that, in the minds of imperialists, could be distributed across the empire to civilized natives. The version of culture they projected was stable and unchanging. A unifying story connecting the elites who ruled Britain to the soil from which their ancestors sprang. In the 1960s and 70s, when Hall was writing, most British intellectual, uh, intellectuals dismissed the new mass culture taking hold in the, con- in the country as a passing fad that did not deserve the attention given to Shakespeare, Elgar or Hogarth. But Hall recognised how it offered an increasingly multicultural British population the opportunity to interpret and experience life as it was lived on the ground, rather than seeing culture as something fixed and unchanging that needed constant protection. Hall saw it as something that underwent quote-unquote constant transformation and was always being made and remade by the people living it, a moving force that perpetually created new identities. It is no coincidence that uh, so many of the primary battlegrounds where today's culture wars are being staged are the elite institutions that represent a traditional British hierarchy. Stately homes, Oxford University common rooms, the last night of the proms. Uh, To culture warriors on the right, these institutions best represent Britain's national culture as a whole. That they are exclusive uh, is part of their appeal. When culture is defined as something only a few people can access or control, its preservation is best entrusted to high-ranking authorities. But attempts to control mass cultures have always been unsteady ground for conservative rights. It's one of its major, it's one of its major uh, recent missteps was the attempt to cast England fo- England's football team as enemies of the nation for taking the knee, believing their disdain for figures such as Marcus Rashford or Tyrone Mings was shared by the rest of the country. This attack did not account for how the momentum of football can galvanise mass support in a way that is impossible for the National Trust or the BBC Director General or the last night of the proms. Some of the other unsuccessful targets of this war have been popular musicians such as Stormzy, briefly framed by the right-wing media as an enemy for saying that he believed 100% that Britain is racist encouraging his crowds to chant Fuck Boris in one of his biggest songs. Fuck the government and fuck Boris. Anyway, um, yet the attacks on Stormzy, uh, Stormzy did uh, little to harm his mass popularity or make him reverse his position. Neither did those uh, launched on fellow rapper Dave after he said our Prime Minister is a real racist during his uh, performance. Indeed, ITV subsequently invited Stormzy and Dave to open the Euro 2020 semi-finals with an advert where they declared this is England, modern England. 
pointing to themselves while images of a multiracial football team flickered in the background. For the culture wars to no longer dominate British politics, we first need to understand that culture is something that is always alive. Hall saw how British culture mutates and regenerates, uh, regenerates with each generation, absorbing new youth movements and migrant communities part every passing year. The right is fighting to conserve a fossilised version of British culture, which it, which it sees as akin to property. There's something that can be uh, something that can be possessed by excluding others. Something that needs to be protected from thieves and trespassers. Victory in the culture war might mean total domination of the institutions that are appointed as guardian as the guardians of culture, as well as na- narrowing of the spaces uh, available to people outside these institutions. If so, it seems the right is already winning. The government increasingly interferes in the employment of museum and art boards, uh, while the conditions that produce the working-class artists who remade culture in post-war Britain have been steadily eroded by a decades-long weakening of the welfare state. Artists and other culture makers uh, now lead far more precarious lives, uh, unless they are already wealthy, while successive governments uh, have cut funding for arts and creative education. Most recently, the government has proposed a dramatically reducing state funding for arts and creative subjects in higher education, as I've talked about several times on the show, side note. Yet this fixed hierarchical model of culture inevitably has weaknesses. It still leaves gaps for those engaged with grassroots culture to seize the conversation. If they are somehow able to make an intervention, uh, Hall's work uh, reminds us that culture is is about more than just defining the shared foundations you must accept to be part of the community and establishing the so-called common sense of the nation. Culture... Is what makes us uh, is what allows us to make sense of the world and interpret our society. When culture warriors become fixated on setting the rules for the nation and not on capturing the shifting sands of contemporary experience, they may begin to sow the seeds of their own demise. And that's just really solidly built um, in terms of just how to look at culture as a whole. And honestly, I don't think this is just a right-wing thing. I think this is why... I think this is a blind spot for most people that don't uh, in that don't have, like, any thought about, uh, you know, uh, the arts and arts education and thinking... Uh, people who don't think about that kind of thing, right? Um, I think about it constantly. I think about... You know, if you stop, um, if you stop people, uh, you know, my age, younger, right, uh, from uh, speaking out on their own experiences, right, however, um, however ubiquitous, ubiquitous it may seem, or um, or how singular it may seem, right, it's all experience, nevertheless, and it adds to the as to the pot that we all consume on a daily basis. You guys all consume either TV, music, books, audiobooks, podcasts, newspapers, whatever, right? Film, right? We all consume art on a daily basis. Games, right? Again, anything, right? We all consume art. And when art is dictated by a certain amount of people and when culture as a whole taken out of art but you know just zooming out a bit and talking about culture as a whole and how we see it you know i don't see oxford university as a, as a big thing i don't i know people do you know some families some some family dynamics do 
right? And that's fine. That that, that does that that transcends race, right? There's there's plenty of people that you know just look at the A levels results and people getting of all colours getting gassed about the fact they're going to Oxford or LSE, Cambridge, uh, whatever, right? St Andrews, fuck it, right? They're all getting gassed to go to this you know state institution, right? And some of those things are fine, right? And that's that's cool, right? But culture is always evolving, as you know. Stuart Hall constantly talked about in his writings, and as a uh, uh, as um, Doctor Doctor Karam talks about in this particular piece, it's always evolving. It's always moving. You know, it's it's not it's not just simply put. And going back to the you know, the U.S. census, it's not just white Britain anymore. It's not just that. There's so much more to it, right? And that needs to be accounted for. Um, everybody has, everybody should have a seat if they want one, right, and, you know, I'm not expecting everyone to be an artist or anything like that, you know, that's not, that's not what I'm saying right now, right, but the point, and, and, and you know what's a great example? Statues. Statues, okay? The reason why statues, in my mind, and, uh, if you want to read, uh, something, uh, on about, on about, like, the abolition of statues as a whole, uh, Gary Young did a, uh, has done uh, uh, has written extensively about it and has talked about it extensively about it. Um, you know, if you, if you, that's that that was a culture that was a culture clash, right? Last year that was a culture clash, right? Of people going, no, this is not how this is not what Britain is anymore. But then again, they have people that just want to protect their quote unquote heroes because it's been because you know it's been there for 150 years. Why why take it down now? Because culture has changed in 150 years. That's why. And it's fine. It's okay. This doesn't mean we're erasing history. We're not erasing uh, the culture of last night of the proms. You know, that still exists, right? And to be honest, I've never, ever seen the proms. I've never, I've never seen it. Um, But that's me. Right, there. I'm, I'm assuming there's plenty of other people that have, that like it and love it. That's fine. That's cool. I don't have beef with that. I don't have beef with any parts of. Um, I, I mean, I mean, yeah. When it gets to statues, obviously, uh, that, that adds a different flavour to it. But you know what I mean. I don't have beef with most of the things that people consider British culture. You know, traditional British culture. I don't care. I just don't. I just don't really give it pay any mind. If you guys consider that. British culture, then fine, but you also need to understand that traditional British culture is not the be all and end all. There is there are so many more layers to what Britain is right now. There's there are so many more layers. Uh, there there are so many more experiences that need to be uh, highlighted, and it and it benefits all of us. You know, I did an episode, the, the two episodes that um, come across for me on this uh, past episode is the one where I think it's called Multiculturalism Equals uh, equals Knowledge and uh, the, uh, the the basic uh, head bleed that I had uh, during uh, during the summer of 2020, um, pulling the knife out, seal the wound. Go pick those episodes um, because this kind of com- it kind of comes back to all of this uh, in terms of just if you if if you experience more things and almost and you know we don't you don't have to like travel and you know spend money on these things right that's that's a privilege you don't have to spend money on seeing different cultures right but the more you ingest and not just this your shit you know you just gain 
you just gain something that helps you along in some fashion. I guarantee you. I really do guarantee you. If you, and you do it, you do it. You don't think you do, but you do it. Whenever you eat some sort of a particular type of food, that comes from somewhere. Guaranteed it comes from somewhere. Look it up. Go look it up. Just, just, it's just a small thing. Go look up that spaghetti you've been eating all year, all your life. Where did that come from, right? Where, where, how did that originate, etc., etc. Just stuff like that. That's culture in some way. That's food culture, right? And then go listen to you know, go listen to um, Stormzy or Dave or whatever, and understand where they come from. And then you get more from it. You can enjoy it on the face, and that's fine. You can enjoy it on the face, right? There's plenty of things I enjoy on the face, and I don't really look into that deep. But if you want, but but you should want that. You should want more from that at some point, right? Even from the traditional British culture that you think that you think it, whatever you think that is, right? There's history to that. Go look it up. Go look it up. So I'll leave it at that, ladies and gentlemen. From the Fifth End Podcast Network, Guy Chaya Taylor. And it's been Moscow. Intro music has been Too Much by Vanilla. You can uh, uh, find his link in the full show notes, as well as Chill Breakers, who, uh, give, who uh, thanks for the ability to use, this, uh, use that track. You can also find their link in the full show notes. Thanks to Nappy Hire for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. I should always try and do the same. Embrace mass culture. Until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.